Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 119 for the 7th of October, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and uh, as usual, I have my uh, co-host here, Paul Ducklin. Welcome back. Hello, Chester. Hasn't been too long since the last one, has it? No, it's been a pretty busy podcast month, but uh, I am, I'm hoping that uh, our listeners are appreciating that and that we're maybe uh, getting the message out on some very important ideas for uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And... Yes, and if you liked the 118 and a third, two-thirds, three-thirds concept of doing three short podcasts when there's a key event going on, like that virus bulletin conference you just attended, let us know because they're fun to do and it does let us explore things that aren't exactly week-by-week week news that we otherwise wouldn't get to touch on. Precisely. That's a great point. Well, I guess the first thing this week is a little bit of a, a, another celebration, if you will, which is the 10th anniversary of Patch Tuesday. It may sound a bit odd to say celebrate it, but uh, I think Patch Tuesday was uh, a real turning point for the security community in general to have sort of a a schedule and a predictable action from a vendor like Microsoft. Well, I agree with you, Chester, that it's something to celebrate, so much so that I actually put balloons on the image that I used on my Naked Security article. It was great to see Microsoft really try and take the bit between their teeth on security. You know, we'd had, what, Code Red, Blaster, Slammer, viruses like that that had spread really, really fast. We haven't seen anything that big since then. And whilst it's not entirely down to Patch Tuesday, it did change the attitudes of Windows users. So, uh, yes, happy 10th. And, and do you think we're going to see uh, a fix on, on Tuesday for this uh, IE Zero Day that's been in the wild for a few weeks? I noticed that, you know, originally this uh, attack was, was quite limited, but unfortunately... Some of the attack code has been leaked publicly, so, you know, all bets are off now as far as to, to attackers using it. It seems pretty highly likely, right? I mean, Microsoft's been pretty good at responding in recent times. Bulletin 1 says that it is a patch that applies to every version of IE from 6 to 11. So it feels like a, a confluence of good patches that will put an end to that flaw, which is good because Microsoft's fix it if I remember correctly, only applies to 32-bit platforms. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, hopefully we will see that on, on Tuesday. And uh, other browser news, there was a, a Chrome 30 released this week that had over 50 security vulnerabilities patched. Of course, Chrome is automatically updated for most users, so they may not notice. But if you are a Chrome user and you're concerned, you should make sure that you do a, an about on your Chrome and double-check that you're using version 30 or higher because that's a lot of new vulnerabilities that uh, there may be people poking around at to see if they can exploit those as well. That's a great point, Chester, because set and forget really isn't something that you should do in security, is it? You can set and largely forget, but even if you've got everything configured to update automatically, like your antivirus, for example, or Chrome, where you don't really have a choice, you still need to go and check to make sure that it's actually working. Otherwise, you have a false sense of security. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the, the uh, real trade-offs of these automatic updates is that for users who are inexperienced, uh, it's a good thing that it happens in the background because you don't want to scare them, nor do you want to end up in a situation where they can be socially engineered like we saw you know, attackers using fake flash updates. But on the other hand, when you don't get the dialogue asking you if you want to do the update, 
then you're in this position of never really knowing if you're up to date unless there's something watching you know that process for you and making sure that it's working so it's always a good idea to give it a check and uh, we'll leave it at that now it sounds like um, was you know as part of Patch Tuesday, one of the the changes Adobe made a few years back was to join Microsoft's program to make it easier for security vendors to learn about Adobe flaws and uh, additionally to have a you know a predictable schedule for fixes for Reader and Flash. But I heard this week that Adobe went open source. So what happened? Oh dear, yes, the Adobe Patch Tuesday has sort of paled into insignificance behind sadly yet another breach for Adobe. It looks as though crooks were able to wander into their network and make off with nearly 3 million records worth of customer data. Fortunately, it seems the dangerous stuff, credit card numbers, were encrypted. And 40 gigabytes of source code, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's one. Oh, I, I guess it is important to keep our, our attention more on the stolen customer records than perhaps the source code. But uh, neither one are a particularly good look for Adobe in all this. Um, with that customer data and the credit card information that was stolen, we still don't really have any idea if the keys were stored with the database, right? Just because it was encrypted doesn't mean a lot. Although the rumor, at least from Brian Krebs at KrebsOnSecurity.com, is that uh, the same people are behind this attack as were behind the Lexus Nexus and other ID theft breaches that were leaked a few weeks ago. So uh, it's really hard to determine what the intent of these attackers really is. It does sound worse than just, hey, we got hold of a load of data through a SQL injection or something. It looks as though to get the source code, they were actually wandering around inside the network. Adobe is suggesting that decrypted credit card numbers were not accessed at all. We had some commenters on Naked Security saying, hey, that seems to imply that there must have been some places where they stored the stuff unencrypted and that would be non-PCI DSS compliant. But of course, it may just be that what Adobe is saying is, as far as they can tell, the attackers, even though they were in the network, weren't able to grab stuff out of memory while transactions were being processed. You know, if they can satisfy us that that was the case, then that would be nice to know. Absolutely. And I think sometimes these press statements are drafted in ways to try to reassure people by saying things like unencrypted data was not accessed, and then people misinterpret that to be that it's stored that way somewhere. So I, I think it's, it's important to give them a little bit of leeway and, and the benefit of the doubt. I would disagree slightly with, the, with claims of clarity in their statement. You know, they talked about, oh, encrypted passwords. Well, what does that mean? That they were stored reversibly, that they actually could recover your passwords? Does it mean that the passwords were hashed, which is technically different from encrypting them, of course? And if they were hashed, then tell us how so that we can make an informed decision. Even if it's an appendix, tell us how they were hashed, how they were salted, how there was key stretching done, uh, and all of that stuff. Because remember, a year ago, Adobe had a breach where the passwords were just plain MD5 hashes, if I remember. So I think they could have given a little bit more information that would have made a risk assessment very, very much easier. I don't disagree, but the, all of those conflicts in the statement tell me that someone wrote it with lawyers rather than with technical people, and perhaps there was a little bit lost in translation. So Adobe had a bit of a, a lapse in operational security, which leads us, I guess, to the next story, which is that uh, the, the person 
allegedly behind the deep web or Tor only website Silk Road, which is known quite famously for drug trading and this kind of stuff, uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. I'm, I'm sort of laughing here, Chester, but I shouldn't be, should I? Probably not. Um, what was interesting is that it was just good old-fashioned police work again. There was accusations I heard that, oh, there must be a backdoor and Tor and all this, but not really. No, I mean, it seems that the guy they arrested did make some major operational blunders. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and this isn't the first time that we've seen these supposedly untouchable criminals that, you know, are hidden somewhere on the web using all this privacy technology fall. I mean, we had Hector Xavier Montseger, the the guy from uh, Lull's sack, of course, and he one time logged into a chat room without his VPN client, and that was enough for them to start figuring out you know, where he was and who he was uh, running this, uh, quote, anonymous operation. We see this now with Silk Road. We saw this with Kubeface when Sophos and, and, and the New York Times and Facebook did our expose on, on the people behind uh, that malware botnet. So I guess we all make mistakes. I mean, you and I uh, tell people frequently here on the podcast, if you don't want it on the internet, don't put it on the internet. You know, be careful with geolocation. Be careful with your photos. Be careful with all these things. And these, the you know, this, I guess this advice applies to the criminals as well. Yes. Having said that, it was obviously wasn't easy for the feds. It took quite a long time to track this guy down. But as you say, in the end, they did by just piecing together evidence that suggested that the guy they've arrested kind of linked up with the the guy who was running this so-called libertarian experiment. Yeah, and entertainingly to me, a lot of the things that he uh, that, that, that provided evidence to law enforcement would not have been discovered had he followed his own advice. There was quite extensive advice on the Silk Road website on how to preserve your anonymity online and how to correctly use uh, privacy tools while online to not accidentally leak information about your location or identity. And uh, at least the information that the press seems to have gotten a hold of suggests that he wasn't following that advice, which may be why, uh, why he uh, ultimately got nabbed. I have a strong feeling that he is deeply regretting at this point uh, a tweet that I believe he put out in June saying, illegal drugs home delivered and our cops are clueless. Turns out they weren't so clueless after all. No. And, you know, while we're providing advice, I think it's a good time to bring up National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. You and I did a podcast 118.66 uh, last week. Do you have anything that you'd like to add to any of that? Not really, Chester. Just to say to our loyal listeners who are maybe a bit more technical, that podcast, if you listen to it, probably seemed a bit basic. But that was the idea. We wanted to give you something that you could get your mum, your uncle, your brother, your friend who works in marketing to listen to to give them advice that they've probably heard lots before and to justify why it's a good idea. You know, why do you want to get a zombie off your computer? Hey, because you're letting the rest of us down if you don't. You're becoming part of the problem, not part of the solution. Sometimes it's good to make sure that you've started from the right point. And uh, I'm sure that Dread Pirate Roberts wished that he had done that now. Poor Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be the topic of a, a lot of uh, security and, and privacy slip-ups in the, in the coming weeks, I imagine. But um, I, I wanted to end today's podcast with a bit of that sage advice that wasn't in the, the .66 podcast, which was just around WordPress stuff. Um, I've been doing some research for some friends, and, I, I, and I've been at some conferences lately, and the topic of WordPress comes up frequently, considering it, it's probably the most popular 
blogging service out there that people are using to build websites and e-commerce sites and share information about their their kids' soccer team or whatever it might be. And in addition to patching WordPress, folks, you've got to remember to look at those plugins and themes and, and things like that as well. Absolutely. Patching the basic WordPress alone is kind of like patching windows, but not applying the patches for Office. And just a reminder, Chester, that the reason for securing WordPress, of course, is that if you're managing a whole lot of content, which may include comments from your users, email addresses of users, and so forth, you have a duty of care to them just for the content that you're maintaining. But if you don't take security seriously, you're not just letting yourself and your customers down, you're letting everybody else down because your server can be used as a staging point for further cybercrimes. Talking to our fellow writer at Naked Security, Mark Stockley, uh, you know, he was pointing out, you know, you've got to be a pretty attentive full-time sysadmin to, to manage a lot of these sites. So setting up something like WordPress or Drupal or any of these types of things uh, on a server that you're only going to take a look at every six months or once a year kind of thing is a bit irresponsible. There's, there's more work involved than that. And, and maybe, you know, more people should be looking at taking advantage of commercial hosting solutions like WordPress.com or, you know, the equivalent for whatever CMS you're interested in using, just so that somebody else can deal with all that nonsense. And you can just worry about focusing on the content. Yes. Although, of course, to go right back to where we started, if you do do that, double check that the people that you're supposedly trusting to keep you up to date are doing that. So you don't have to do the updates yourself, but once in a while you want to go in and make sure that the version numbers that are current um, are what your particular implementation is using. When it comes to checking that security patches have been done, two pairs of eyes is always better than one. I couldn't agree more, and that's a great way to end this podcast. So that concludes Software Security Chat Chat 119. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com on iTunes and via RSS. Until next time, stay secure.